This is Series 3 of Brave New Girl Podcast, and I'm Lou Hamilton, author and illustrator of Brave New Girl, How to Be Fearless, and I welcome you to the stories of real-life Brave New Girls who are creatives, founders, campaigners, health practitioners, and thought leaders who are making a positive impact in the world. This week's guest is Dr. Tabitha Barber, author of White Trash to White Coat, which takes us on her journey from wild child to teenage pregnancy to deciding to become a doctor. But her own ill health forced her to look outside of conventional medicine and on discovering the power of optimal wellness, she became a functional gynecologist, helping women reclaim their health and their lives. Welcome Dr. Tabitha to Brave New Girl podcast. Tabitha, how are you? I'm so excited to be here, Lou. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited because you're in, in the States and I'm here and well, we're in lockdown. I don't know. Are you still in Michigan? Yeah, so we are opened up pretty, pretty well at this point. You know, we had all of our restaurants closed down until February, so almost a year you know, but now we're open at half capacity and our schools are open for the most part. So life's starting to feel normal again. So have you got children? So do you, have you been having to homeschool as well? Oh my gosh. So I have three children and I inherited three from my husband. So together we have six, but luckily the two oldest are graduated and out of the house. But yeah, we have a 10 year old, two 10 year olds, a 12 year old, an 18 year old. It's been rough, you know, trying to work full time from home last year and homeschool them. I realized I am not a teacher. I am no good at teaching fourth grade math. Um, it was a really rough time and I'm glad it's over. I think a lot of people have really struggled for, for that reason, for, for lots and lots of different reasons. And, and as we know, um, stress can have a massive impact on people's health. So I wonder, what have you seen has happened through the pandemic with, with people's health? And, and how have you been able to help them with your, with your practice, which is, you know, you used to be, I don't know how you call it, a conventional medical doctor? Is that... Although I think with functional medicine, that's actually conventional. That's the original, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yes, I, I love that you're thinking it that way. But I'm a traditionally trained OBGYN. I used to deliver babies and do hysterectomies and all kinds of women's health. And I had to give that up, you know, for my own health reasons. But over the past year, what I've seen with the pandemic is any problems or issues women were struggling with have been magnified. You know, any small thing has just become insurmountable. And I don't know about over where you're at, but here everyone pretty much turned to alcohol because you couldn't leave the house, especially in the Northern States where it was so cold. We couldn't leave the house. We were afraid to leave the house. There was nothing to do and people were bored. And so it was kind of like this long, long vacation that just went on. And so it was like drink every night. And that really wreaks havoc on women's bodies. I mean, we can talk about the impact that alcohol has. We are not supposed to drink more than one drink. And 
so many of my patients were regularly consuming three to four glasses, you know, a night with the stress on top of it, and then eating in the evenings. And so I started seeing a lot of insulin resistance, prediabetes, and tons of estrogen dominance. We can talk about all that if you want, but it's been really hard to just watch women try to juggle it all without the right tools. You know, it's, it's overwhelming. And you've been able to um, pivot, haven't you? So you've taken your, your visits with your clients online. So how have you managed to do that? Yeah. So when we got shut down back in March of last year, you know, we thought it was going to be temporary. So our office was closed for a couple weeks. And then we found out like, this is not temporary. We cannot open anytime soon. They didn't see us as mandatory because we don't provide like acute care. We are more lifestyle, chronic, you know, issues and disease. And so my patients still needed me and I had to figure out how to give them access. And so we quickly pivoted and started seeing patients virtually and it went amazing you know they would see the nutritionist online after they saw me and we would just mail them their tests and send them their supplements and we found out that it really wasn't that big of a barrier and so i was really excited about that and now that we're back in person you know we all want to see each other in person and give hugs and have that connection but the option of virtual is still there and it caused me to really dream bigger and expand. So now I'm licensed in over half the country in the United States, which is pretty awesome. So I just don't see, you know, the physical as a barrier anymore. Like if you want to come see me for your health, let's make it happen. So that's been pretty awesome. And so, I mean, it's a bit crazy, isn't it, that you weren't able to open because you weren't acute, you were chronic. But actually, weren't they finding that the people that were suffering with COVID worse, the people with chronic disease? <laughs> exactly. Ding, ding, ding. It's like if you have underlying health conditions like diabetes and autoimmune disease and um, heart disease, you're more apt to have sequelae from the COVID and not do as well. Yet, those are the people that couldn't be managed appropriately. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, preventative care is not given the credit that it deserves. It is so important. It is the key to all health, you know, being in a sick care model, being on your medications, seeing the doctor to keep you in the state that you're at is never going to get you healthy. It's never going to make your body strong enough to fight off COVID. So we just have a whole backwards idea of healthcare, essentially. And it sounds like you guys do too. I mean, it's kind of all over the world. We've just, we're stuck in this mentality, like, I'm going to go see the doctor for 15 minutes and they're going to fix it. And I can't fix anybody, you know, I can give you tools and help guide you and motivate you, but you have to do the work because it is about what you do every day, the decisions you make, the behaviors and habits you have, and what you put in your mouth and don't put in your mouth. That's something I can do, right? 
this has been a whole long journey getting to to that point and i'd like to take you back to way before you even thought that you were going to be a a doctor a conventional doctor you wrote a book um about your your childhood growing up the journey to becoming a doctor and and i'd like you to kind of talk to us a little bit about where you came from and and what your own expectation for yourself was you know you were quite a sort of wild child weren't you and you <laughs> and you did have um you got pregnant at 16 i mean it didn't stop you because you know you're you're the kind of person that will go well okay i'll find a different way to get my schooling and and have a baby but so why wasn't the background that you had conducive to you thinking that you could do whatever you wanted to do so I grew up with a lot of independence from an early age. You know, I just didn't have rules. I wasn't held accountable for anything. Uh, my parents were very busy trying to run businesses and they had other children. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of structure. And so I got to do whatever I wanted. And luckily, I learned from my mistakes, you know, might have taken a few times, but I would learn my lesson. And I had a really strong backbone of faith. So that is one thing my mom instilled in me. So even though I didn't appreciate it at the time, looking back, it kind of saved me. But honestly, I had no realistic concrete plans for my life. I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to do wild and crazy things with no plans for college. I didn't like school. I thought it was very um, suppressive and um, they made me feel bad all the time. Like I'm not smart. And it turns out I just wasn't trying and didn't care. And But I didn't find that out so much later. So having my daughter really clarified in my mind what my purpose in life was. And that was to give women a voice and a choice in their health and in their lives. Because here I am 17 years old and I'm having a baby. My doctor's not telling me anything. There's no informed consent. There's no discussions of this versus that, you know, it's just like, this is what was done to me. And I better not ask questions because I should be grateful that he's even taking care of me because I'm on Medicaid and food stamps. So that experience told me like women need to be empowered and given choices and be talked to respectfully. And that just wasn't the norm back then. Mind you, this is 28 years ago. So I think we've come a long way. But I still do see it in conventional medicine, you know, as a gynecologist, my tools were, you come in complaining of something, I have a pill or a surgery, and that's all I have. And I have 15 minutes for you to make your decision, you know, so I wasn't really giving women a voice and a choice. And it came to a head eventually, you know, I did that for 10 years, but I was destroying my own self because I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't doing all the things you need to do. I wasn't eating right. I wasn't sleeping. I was seriously sleep deprived as an obstetrician. And so when I finally started trying to heal myself and study functional medicine and realized like the stuff I need to do for me is what my patients need to do as well. And I need to give them the tools 
And so once I got my shit together and healed myself, I was on a mission to like see my patients differently and help them in a more natural way. Like let's reel in your crazy stressful life. Let's manage your children. Let's get you moving your body. Stop eating all the garbage and putting all the alcohol and pop in your body or soda, if you guys call it that. And that's where the magic happens. And that was really where you were at, weren't you? When you were, what, 17, 18, with a little baby, eating really badly, with quite bad sort of ill health problems, and sort of negotiating that, but not kind of really knowing what you needed to do, what it was. As often happens, though, there are always people that pop up in our path that give us a belief in ourselves. And I think that happened a couple of times, didn't it? Once yeah. we sort of were going to get you into school to then study, were you going to study as a nurse or? So after I had my daughter, I figured I better do something with my life, right? So I went back to, and I got my graduate equivalent degree for high school. I didn't do 12th grade. I just, you know, got my GED and I figured I better go to community college and get some kind of associate degree. And my mother-in-law was in in nursing school at the time. And so she said, just go to nursing school. It's easy. You'll have a good job. You'll, it'll be safe. But none of that stuff really appealed to me. So it didn't last very long. And I had a professor, you know, who pointed out the fact that I was the top of the class every time because I was actually putting forth effort. It's not that I was dumb in high school and elementary. It's that I just didn't care. And now that I was like putting in the effort, I had 4.0 every time. And he said to me, you absolutely can be a doctor if you want to be. And that just support from another person that I never had before opened my eyes to the reality like, oh my gosh, I can do whatever I want, you know, and I just have to figure out how to make it happen. And so I make it an effort to think about him when I talk to other people who are impressionable, especially younger people who are going through transitions, or even my older patients who are stuck in a rut, like, there's hope you literally can do whatever you want you just might have a longer path there might be more obstacles but let's figure it out you know so that was a defining moment for me so you did become a doctor and you loved your work didn't you um, oh yeah you know, it was um you know you're working with women's health it's really important work but you were getting ill yourself and and you weren't able to deliver in a way that you felt that you could you did you feel that there was more that could be offered but you weren't sure what it was and that you were discovering that for yourself in your own ill health so i worked in a small town i'm still here and so i would see the babies that i delivered at the beach and at the grocery store and you know the women that i helped and did their surgeries on wherever i would go and it was very rewarding to have made such an impact on a small community and have those connections you know but i did it at the expense of me and my family my children didn't get to see me as much because i was constantly running out for deliveries at all hours of the day and night and I was very sleep deprived and 
barely functioning. And I remember one winter, they have this thing where you go downtown and the all the places give out wine samples. It's called Wine About Winter. I had this big, beautiful, white, fluffy coat on. I'm hanging out with my girlfriends, having a good time. And I felt off that day. Like, I just felt like I was getting sick. And we we're standing there having a good time drinking. And I just felt like this heaviness and this gush between my legs. And I put my hand down between my legs and it was red. Like I was bleeding out all over this beautiful white coat in front of everybody. And, you know, they're all laughing. The gynecologist can't fix her periods. And it was true. Like I couldn't have the birth control pill. It gave me raging headaches. I couldn't have the IUD, the progestins, and it made me severely depressed. I tried to get an ablation and my uterus was a no-go. And so here I am bleeding every month and now I'm in public. I'm a mess. Like that was like, holy cow, what the heck is going on here? And that was one of the reasons that I started searching for why are my periods heavy? Why are so many of my patients' periods heavy? I was trained that that's just what happens in your 40s. Your periods get heavy and then they stop. Well, that's a bunch of crap, actually. <laughs> it's because we have so many xenoestrogens in our environment from all the plastics in our food and in our water supply and in our cosmetics. It's because we live max stressed out lives and cortisol production steals our progesterone. And then we overdose our liver with alcohol and it can't metabolize our estrogens and get our estrogens out. And then we're not pooping regularly because of our diet. And that makes us reabsorb our estrogens. So we're just this walking estrogen bomb. And that's why our periods are heavy. That's why we're biting people's heads off before our period. That's why we can't sleep at night. That's why we're gaining weight around our belly. And when I figured all that out and fixed myself, there was no stopping me after that. I was like, I have the answer. I have like the real answers, the tools. And so now my periods are regular. They last a few days, you know, they're they're there, but they're not destroying my life. They're not wiping me out for days. And it's such a huge difference. How did you discover that? Because I, I know that the US is further advanced in, in this area than us, but I had the same problem. And I just sort of went from pillar to post, a lot of Googling. Luckily, somebody had had a, a similar problem and she told me about a kinesiologist who I went to see and they did fix the problem that the doctors hadn't been able to. And that was just sort of a chance, you know, somebody knew somebody who could help me. How, how was it for you? How did you discover this? And how are people discovering this? So I discovered it by um, studying functional medicine through the Cleveland Clinic. And, you know, that program took me a few years. And once I started learning root cause medicine and how and why your estrogens get so high and why your cortisol gets high and how that imbalances everything else, you know, that was my mission. Like I just needed to figure all this out and become the master of it, you know, and there's advanced hormone testing that you can do that were not taught in traditional medicine. So I was taught that we shouldn't bother testing hormones because they fluctuate every day and you can't rely on their results. And it was really 
just our way of saying, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to interpret this and what to do. So let's not look. And so there haven't been a lot of advances in conventional gynecology for a long time, but in the functional medicine world where they're looking at, you know, biology and physiology, they've got it all figured out. And unfortunately, our medical system's really broken. Medical school is, you know, in that things are going to take decades to change. I realize that. And so I can't really fault the system that I came from. You know, all I can do is like, now that I know better, I do better, you know. So I would encourage people to seek out functional practitioners or physicians because they are up to date on the latest advancements and scientific advancements. And a lot of this stems from the gut and from microbacteria that you cannot see, but they run the show. They are what balance your hormones or imbalance them. And so there's just so much more that I didn't learn in medical school or residency or anything else, but the information is out there and it's just going to take a long time for it to be incorporated. There's a lot of pushback because big pharma doesn't make money by you changing your diet, right? You're a functional gynecologist, but actually, you know, what you talk about is looking after the whole body. You know, you see the whole body, don't you? And, and that's very different from conventional medicine, which, which, you know, you come to the doctor, you present with something and they, they try and fix that thing. They don't go to the root cause of everything, which is your sort of whole body system. So can you talk about that and how that impacts um, gynecology? Yeah, I mean, it, we're very much compartmentalized. You know, if you have a gut problem, you go to the GI doctor. If you have a thyroid problem, you go to the end of the chronologist. If you have a period problem, you go to the gynecologist. The problem is all those things are related and those doctors are not seeing the bigger picture. It's, I don't know if you've ever seen the painting, it's like a huge elephant and a bunch of little mice, like one mouse is feeling the foot, one's feeling the trunk, one's feeling the tail, and they all have this, these are blind mice who have a different picture of what it is. And nobody knows it's an elephant because they're not stepping back and looking at the whole picture. And so, so often a thyroid issue causes heavy periods and a thyroid issue comes about because of leaky gut or increased intestinal permeability. And so those three things are very often related. And the woman's symptom is a crazy heavy period or weight that she can't get rid of or acne, you know. So she comes complaining of quote unquote gynecology complaints, but it's almost always rooted in her thyroid her sugar, her adrenals, something else. And so it makes me sad that we've turned it into this compartmentalized, you know, medical system. I see why it happened and it makes sense for some acute care situations. Like you break your leg. Yeah. You want to see the orthopedic surgeon and get it fixed. But for diabetes and Hashimoto's and heart disease and, you know, I could go on with all these chronic illnesses, autism, ADHD, 
those need to be looked at by someone who sees the elephant, you know, who steps back, takes the bigger picture, looks at your entire life. What are the toxins that you've been exposed to throughout your life? What emotional traumas have you been through? What kind of genes do you have? Do you have mutations preventing, you know, you from methylating your B vitamins? I mean, so many things that need to be looked at and nobody is going beyond their narrow focus. This just, this tunnel vision is killing us, really. So let's take an example of a section of our bodies. So I've got a daughter who's in her early 20s. I'm in my late 50s. This is something that we have, you know, we have our whole lives and and we, we're not really taught about our vaginas. We're not taught about how to look after them, how they function, what helps, what hinders. You know, you talked about this sort of sudden heavy bleeding and these things happen, you know, sporadically throughout our lives and you know in menopause can if you if you're not doing all the things that you that you recommend as preventative can get pretty bad and you know i've heard some absolute horror stories of of older women whose vaginas have atrophied and and prolapse and just absolute horrendous stuff that you know until you know basically all we're told in the uk i don't know if it's the same in the us is but when you're pregnant, just make sure you do your Kegel exercises and that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one talks about vaginas from the, you know, from a young age up until you're old, until you have a massive problem and you've got to have surgery. So, yeah. so what's the journey of the vagina and how do we look after it? Yeah, I think, you know, women's health is treated the same here as it is there. It's like periods are a nuisance and something to be you know covered up or gotten rid of it's a something that you know is interfering with our life instead of celebrating the fact that you're becoming a woman and it's a beautiful amazing thing and it's a great way to monitor your body's health it's a vital sign it tells you so much information every month when you have or don't have a period but we're not taught any of that we're taught that it's just shameful and annoying and like take a pill and get rid of it already and this goes on through our whole life and we aren't taught that the vagina is just another organ and section of our body that needs to be cared for and thought about you know pap smear guidelines were switched oh gosh maybe eight or ten years ago again at this point and that caused the government to come out and say women don't need pelvic exams anymore you know once every five years is enough because that's how often you need a pap smear and crap like that gives us a huge disservice because honestly the pap smear is one tiny little part of the exam it's looking for abnormal cells on our cervix there is so much other stuff going on with the vagina and the vulva and the uterus and the ovaries and for them to say you don't need an exam you don't need to even think about or worry about that more than like two times a decade that was not helping anybody i saw so many women who were trying to suffer in silence because they thought if they went to the doctor they were just seen as whiny or complaining and it's like so much 
of our overall health affects our vaginal health. Our average blood sugar directly affects the bacteria that live in our vagina and you can get chronic yeast infections. You know, if our gut is not healthy, we have the wrong bacteria living in our gut that causes the bacteria in the vagina to be off and messes with the pH and causes recurrent bacterial vaginosis. That causes painful intercourse, you know, spotting between periods, so many issues, yet we pretend like it couldn't possibly be affected by the rest of our body, you know, like you mentioned, prolapse and things. I used to have a very um, high population of elderly women in my practice. I inherited an older practice and these women would just suffer in silence. They would push their cervix and uterus back up into their body. And when I finally would ask them, you know, do you feel any pressure, any bulge, anything coming out? Are you having to push on your vagina to have bowel movements? They just were like, you, you want to know this? You care? And I said, yes, good God, yes, because there's something we can do about it. And patient after patient, just hundreds of women had been suffering in silence. And I still see it go on because the doctors don't ask. The doctors don't have time or they don't know. And so we're just, we're not helping women. And I want women to feel empowered and not embarrassed by the fact that this is another body part that we have and men enjoy it very much. So why not let's all get on board with, you know, talking about it and making it healthy, just like we try to keep our eyes healthy and our skin healthy and our heart healthy. You know, we should be talking about vaginal health. The other major thing I see is relationships go south come menopause. You know, not only are women hormonally imbalanced and find it hard to connect emotionally because they're feeling super irritable and anxious and they have no fuse left, um, they're not sleeping but their vagina hurts. They don't want to have sex, right? And for most men, that's how they show their love to their partner. And so it can really wreck a relationship when that stuff's not dealt with, you know? So we need to figure out how to start talking about it and how to start dealing with it for sure. So you're saying that the vagina is in a way a barometer of what's going on in the rest of the body. So if women start to notice that things have changed and that presumably means that they also then need to know what it's like to start with so they need to be familiar with their vaginas to then know if something is different but then that that's an indicator that something else is going on in the body so there are two things one is what do you do to keep your overall health so that you can have a good healthy vagina all the way through and also then what happens if you do start to notice that there is a change and can those things be reversed yeah so the i would say the biggest two th the two biggest things that affect the vagina are your blood sugar and your hormone levels so we tend to think that it's normal to consume all this processed food, all of these boxed and bagged 
foods full of simple carbohydrates and high fructose corn syrup and drink the pop and the soda. But all, every time your blood sugar gets elevated, it creates more yeast growth, more dysbiosis in your gut of other bacteria, and it does the same thing in your vagina. And so you might not have an outright yeast infection in the fact that you know you need to go to the doctor and get a prescription, but you could have an overgrowth that constantly feels irritating and unsettling or feels weird with intercourse. You could have bacterial vaginosis so that you get the fishy odor, especially after intercourse. And so that's something to pay attention to, you know, or there's autoimmune conditions called lichen sclerosis is a big one. That is where your own immune system attacks your skin and it makes the vulva and the vagina very itchy feeling. The skin down there can get very thin and delicate and tear easily. And that is driven by inflammation. And oftentimes going on a gluten-free or grain-free diet will help something like that. So you shouldn't notice your vagina. That's the thing. Like if it's healthy, you shouldn't notice it's there. If it's irritated, if you're feeling things all the time, if you're constantly feeling itchy, that's a sign that something's up. Your microbiome is off. And that is something that you need to get checked out. You know, speaking of gluten and grain issues, one of the biggest complaints is anal itching. So feeling like your butt itches all the time, you know, it's because your system doesn't like gluten and your body's attacking you. So that's another thing you can think about. But it's definitely a barometer for health. So women probably are familiar with this. If they've had babies and you're breastfeeding, sometimes intercourse is painful. Things are really dry down there because you're in an estrogen deficient state. I've had to give women who are breastfeeding vaginal estrogen just to help with that because that tissue can get so delicate down there. But that is exactly what happens with menopause. The estrogen and progesterone are feeding that tissue and keeping it moist and elastic so it can move and stretch. And without it, it turns into the consistency of tissue paper. It will tear very easily. Women describe, you know, pain with intercourse as a burning, stinging pain because of those tiny tears, you know, and so it's not comfortable. And Sometimes we'll do vaginal estrogen therapy or DHEA in the vagina. My favorite treatment is actually the um, vaginal laser, where we use laser technology or light therapy to stimulate new cell growth so that you do have more of the moisture-producing cells and more of the supportive collagen is back to keep things lifted up because Gravity's pulling on everything, not just our face and our boobs. It's also pulling on the vagina and it's pulling everything down. So I think it it makes so much sense to pay attention to any of those little symptoms your body's giving you because those are warning signs that things are changing. And, you know, and there's things you can do about it. Diet obviously is a, um, a big factor, nutrition, hydration, exercise, all of those, those things. Are there, I mean, and you mentioned alcohol has a, 
has a negative effect on our bodies in that way. So are there particular things that are healing, healing foods that can help? Yeah, definitely. I mean, anything brightly colored is going to be good for your body. Brightly colored vegetables. I love to say eat the rainbow every day, like get something from every color because those colors represent the antioxidants in those foods, in those vegetables and fruits. Those are what go around and, you know, clean house. They take care of all the broken cells that are trying to be turned over and the broken DNA that can go on to turn into cancer. Like, get that out of there. So eat your rainbow every day. And for women, we don't necessarily get enough protein. There's a lot of women who don't love meat necessarily. And it's hard to get the complete essential 13 essential amino acids from a vegetarian diet. And so it's really important that you're getting enough clean protein, especially during the perimenopausal years when your testosterone starts to go down and you start to lose muscle mass because we need to be strong. We need to keep our bones supported as they stop, you know, being as strong. And if we have less muscle on our body, we carry more fat, which most women don't like as well. So I think the worst part about diet is what the government has done to create this whole low-fat food industry over the past 20 or 30 years, whatever it's been now. They really destroyed our hormones. So here's the gist of it. Cholesterol is the backbone of our hormone production. It's necessary, it's required to make estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, cortisol. And we were put on these low fat diets for decades. So it wreaked havoc on our hormones. Our bodies struggled to make our hormones. And cholesterol was looked at as evil when it's also the backbone to the billions of cells in our body. It helps make the membranes of all of our cells. That's cholesterol. We need it. We don't need saturated fats from, you know, animals fed from GMO corn feed and, you know, stuff with antibiotics and growth hormone. But we do need good cholesterol. We need healthy fats because that is the backbone of our health. And so, some women are still on that low-fat kick. And the worst part about the low-fat kick was all those foods were pumped full of sugar because they tasted so horrible. And so now we are all sugar addicted. And now that's why diabetes is going up. And so we have to get back to whole foods that God grew out of the ground and made, you know, and feed the animals what we would eat, not you know, some nasty chemistry experiment to make them grow bigger and fatter and quicker. So if we can get back to what God created us to be eating and doing, that's where the magic happens. And the other thing, you know, when we're sort of physically trying to look after our health and, you know, we're busy women, we're, we're trying to run businesses, we're, we're doing, you know, we're juggling a million things. And stress has a massive impact, doesn't it, on, on our bodies. And so, you know, we can be running and we can be eating healthily and we can be sleeping and we can be hydrating. But if, if we're stressed, then that still has a huge impact. So can you explain a bit about what it does actually do to the body and how we can try and 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. This part is so important. Like if your listeners get nothing else, I hope they get this because stress, when we feel it, like we open an email that gets us angry or hyped up. We have a bad conversation with a friend. We're dealing with a kid or, you know, whatever it is, emotional, physical, mental stress. Every time that happens, our body has to make cortisol and adrenaline to deal with it. And cortisol, one of the ingredients is progesterone. And so we steal our good, yummy, balancing sex hormone to make cortisol. And then our body thinks we're either going to fight or run. And so it will actually make sugar, it will make glucose in our liver and put it in our bloodstream to either handle the fight or the run. And so then our pancreas has to make insulin to go get the blood sugar and bring it back and either use it as energy or store it as fat. And if you are in this cycle all day long, you better believe that insulin is going to store all kinds of fat on you because you are pumping out cortisol all day long. And then you get into this picture of you're chronically stressed, you're gaining weight around your belly from all the insulin and blood sugar that you're creating, and your progesterone is super low because you stole it to make cortisol, and now your estrogen is dominant. And I see this picture all day long. And the best way to reverse it is to get control of your stress. Like you got to get some tools. You got to figure out how to reel that in. You either only open emails at a certain time period of the day. You learn a breathing technique to, to handle those feelings when they come up. You know, you delegate some jobs so that you're not dealing with so many stressors. You get a tutor for your kid. Like you got to figure it out, but you have to do something. You know, I started doing guided meditations just on a phone app and that was really good for me. I thought that was a nice way to get my body out of sympathetic mode. You know, our nervous systems have two dominant types. There's a sympathetic and a parasympathetic, and they don't go at the same time. Parasympathetic helps you rest and digest. So if you are stuck in sympathetic mode, you don't even think with your front brain. So you don't have like critical good thinking skills. You're thinking with your caveman brain and you're making bad decisions and bad choices. And so you have to get out of that sympathetic state to even be that amazing productive woman that does the right thing. So it's really important find whatever works for you, whether that's praying or journaling or breathing or tapping. Tapping is a really awesome thing you know, walking your dog at the end of the day, something to get you out of that sympathetic state. And some women get to the point where they do that for so long with the chronic cortisol and the stress that their adrenal glands shut down and they stop making cortisol. And then they're at the point where they're flatlined. They don't want to get out of bed. They have no energy or motivation to live life at all. And that's a major burnout. And unfortunately, there's too many women getting to that point, but you don't need to. Women who find you and come to you and and take these measures and make these changes in their lives, for me, that shows huge courage to step out of yes. the, the conventional way of doing things and to take the 
the road less traveled at the moment less traveled um, <laughs> how do you from all of your experiences and the challenges you yourself have been through how do you define courage oh i define courage as knowing that you're afraid seeing the fear and doing it anyway right just I was afraid to do all the stuff I've done, you know, writing a book as someone who barely made it through high school. That's crazy. Who would, I can't write a book, but if you just realize like, yeah, you're going to feel afraid. That's a normal way that your body tries to protect you because your body wants to survive. Your brain wants to survive, but it's your dreams that want to thrive. And so you have to go beyond. You have to have the courage. So you look the fear in the face and you say, yep, that's right. That's what's happening. And you put it on the table and you walk away and you do it anyway. And that's courage to me. Thank you so much, Dr. Tabitha, for sharing how you went from a teenage pregnancy to taking your life into your own hands to helping not only yourself, but all the other, other women in need of your support and expertise. I wonder what you would say to, to those women who, who want to step towards functional medicine, who want to take the alternative path to, the, to their own healing. What would be the first step that they could take? Yeah, definitely start now. Don't keep thinking about it, you know, just get into it. And I have a free guide that women can read just how to balance your hormones naturally it's a nice introduction of thinking about your liver and your gut and your adrenal glands and all this good stuff start to think about what you're putting in your body you know is this going to help nourish me or is this going to deplete me and if you start thinking about that when you're putting stuff in your body on your body you might think twice and you might make some different changes. You know, it can be overwhelming, especially when you start talking about toxins and all the stuff that we're exposed to in the environment. So I don't want women to feel overwhelmed. You don't have to go clean out your entire house and change your entire life and your diet and your whole everything tomorrow. Like take a stepwise approach, take baby steps. You know, that's what I did. I started by getting rid of the junk food. I worked, you know, at the hospital, there's nurses stations with junk food everywhere. There's always cookies and pies. It's always somebody's birthday. There's candy everywhere. And I decided one day I was done and I stopped eating it and I ate so much fruit to compensate for it. An unhealthy amount of fruit. But I will tell you that was my saving grace and that got me through and then a couple months later, I was at the point where fruit felt really sweet to me. And that was like, oh, that's enough now because I was focused on eating healthy fats and lean protein. I was actually nourishing my body because here's the secret. When you're eating all that garbage, your body's not being nourished. It's getting full. So you feel full for a minute, but you never are nourished. And so your body keeps wanting more because it's still starving for nourishment. And so once you start to nourish your body, all those cravings go away. The bacteria that are craving the sugar die off. There will be a shift. So pick something small to start with. If you drink pop or soda, 
Start with that. That's going to be the biggest help right there. Make little changes every day and start incorporating, you know, follow my podcast, The Functional Gynecologist. Start reading everything you can and give yourself a pat on the back for even little stuff because it is hard work to make changes in your life. Definitely listen to Dr. Tabitha's podcast because it's fantastic I'm completely addicted you always have incredible guests who sort of talk about their particular area of expertise one last thing is that you've your book takes you up to where you became you were a doctor and you're training as a doctor and then you it finishes before you became a functional gynecologist so I'm wondering will there be a, a another book there will be. I'm working on it. I'm potentially calling it the hypocrite doctor because it's about everything I did that was, you know, so blatantly wrong while I'm telling patients, you know, to do what I'm not doing. So you need to live by example. You need to practice what you preach, especially for doctors. And so I I really hope I find time to write that. That is on my list because I think everybody can learn from it. Women in general can just realize like, if you don't like your situation, you can do something about it. You know, I left a very cush, stable job with a nice salary and my 401k and my health insurance, all that stable stuff, right? But that's not what I needed to be doing. And that was not, it was making me sick. And so I left all of that. And it was this one of the scariest things I ever did, but it was the best thing I ever did as well. And I found that as I've got older, nothing counts for anything unless we have our health. Amen. Yeah. That's all you have. Thank you so much, Dr. Tabitha. It's been amazing. Um, I'm going to have to get you on another time because there's so much more I want to talk to you about. But yes, for now, that's brilliant. Lovely to meet you. And I shall be listening, tuning into your podcast every week. Wonderful. Take care. And I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Dr. Tabitha, for showing us that when it comes to our health, there is so much we can do to help ourselves. You can find out more about Dr. Tabitha's work on www.drtabitha.com and follow her on Instagram at Dr. Underscore Tabitha. Thanks to Silk Studios for producing and sourcing the guests for the show. And thanks to you all for listening. Take care, choose courage and see you next week.